Well, hello. Hi. My name is Logan, and I had the privilege of being groomed by my Christian camp counselor turned youth group leader turned, hello, queen, um, <laughs> turned boss. So wow. yeah, I was with this man for a very long time. Um, currently, I am a professional school counselor in a middle school, and I have significant training and experience in crisis intervention and suicide prevention. Um, and I work a lot of, well, a lot of my work goes specifically with um, suicide prevention in LGBTQ plus youth. Um, so this year, well, every year, really, we teach personal body safety lessons, um, which is about child abuse and grooming and about essentially how we, you know, as adults can help kids stay safe around other adults. Um, so, you know, as we were doing it this year and I was delivering the lesson, a lot of the students had questions about um, grooming and they were kind of laughing about it. And like when we were talking about some of the topics, they were like, oh, like, you know, raising their hand, like that's not gonna happen, like that's absurd. And I felt this like very real, like mm -hmm. triggering response How to old it. are they? Oh, middle school, so okay. sixth grade. Um, well, I was sixth through eighth grade. Wow. Um, and so many of them really didn't take it seriously. Right. And I'm like, this is a real thing that actually And it is happens. hard, I will say, like thinking back and even meeting younger kids, it's almost like our brains don't grasp mm -hmm. anything. Right, yeah. Except for like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And in ways, that's a good thing because we're like present, we live in the moment. Yeah. But when it comes to serious safety and just issues of the world, mm -hmm. it's a downside. Right. I mean, myself in middle school, most of the story comes from when I was in middle school. I probably would have laughed at the idea of like grooming a child too, because it's so absurd. Um, but it's very real. And we have to teach kids about the fact that it's very real. Um, and it's a significant risk for mm -hmm. every single child. Um, so with that, the purpose of me coming here is to kind of tell my story and my experience with being groomed where I'm at now. I'm I'm doing well, I'm doing great. Um, I love my job, I love working with kids and um, it just kind of, I wanna be the voice to tell, not necessarily children, but you know, I'm at the age where people are starting to have kids um, and I'm sure many of the listeners are also, you know, young adults and they probably also are starting to have kids and this is still very much a reality yeah. um, for families and for kids. And if telling this story can, you know, make one parent kind of be like, oh, wait a minute, now I'm kind of questioning this relationship that my child has with this adult, then for me, that's a win. Absolutely. Um, and so I personally um, am an only child. I'm also a child of divorce. So just right off the bat, um, there were some like vulnerabilities that didn't necessarily impact me personally, but made it so that I was a perfect target for yeah. grooming. Um, I grew up relatively non-religious. My dad um, and his side of the family is Jewish, and I pretty much celebrated a lot of the Jewish holidays, but wasn't like necessarily practicing Judaism. Right. Um, the irony is that this camp that I had gone to for all these years is a, a Christian summer camp. Um, we had no idea it was a Christian summer camp until um, one day my mom told me that I came home singing about my f uh, my father's house. And there's like this song. It's like, come with me to my father's house. And my mom was like, why are you singing about your father's <laughs> house and not your mother's house? And then she put it together yeah. that 
it's a Christian camp. Um, So I started at that camp at age five um, and had been there every single summer for eight to 10 weeks uh, for since from ages five. And then I worked there um, up until age 20 or 21. So 13. And was it just a day camp? Yeah, it was a day camp. It was a day camp and we had overnighters. And that's that's what I'll be talking about uh, more on. But so in fourth grade, I moved from the traditional day camp to the wilderness program, um, which is like had this reputation of having fewer rules, um, having, you know, more open space, less structure. It was kind of for the kids who were a little bit more needy in terms of their neurodiversity. That was not me. I just thought it was really cool. Um, And the culture of this wilderness program is that everybody could not wait until they were in the teen group because Mm -hmm. it was like, wow, like once you're a teen, you have, you know, all this freedom and like, it's super, super cool. And, um, you know, also like in the teen program, there's this really awesome guy named Steve and Steve is the, um, just like the face of the wilderness teens program. And also the center of all of my trauma. He's the groomer. Okay. Um, and so he is like notorious as this like big um, extroverted personality. He also is very charismatic um, and he's seen as like the most powerful person at this camp um, because everybody loves him. I mean, it's like if we think about how do you define a groomer, it's the charismatic person who everybody loves Um He has this awesome reputation. He's been there for years. So he has all of the historical knowledge of everything. And so this guy is like the face of the teen program. And you're like, wow, I want to get, I want to get to teens so that I can meet Steve. And so if I had to describe wilderness teens or just teens with one word, the word I would choose, even pre-grooming would be lawless. Um, because we spent time in the woods. Um, we'd be building forts, building fires. Um, we also spent lots of time at our local McDonald's, which is like really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, we would just like, not in a weird groomy kind of way, just like a strange, like we just hang around and eat like McChickens. Honestly, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It, in theory, it sounds great. But like, if you think about the fact that like families are paying for their kids right? to just go to McDonald's, it's a little weird. Um, McDonald's and build fires. Build fires. Yeah. <laughs> nothing like outdoorsy McDonald's yep. and fire pits. Um, so we would start and end each day with a group meeting, which is pretty typical of most camps. Um, we'd ultimately like in the morning prepare for our day. Um, and then at the end of the day, kind of debrief how the day went. Um, each meeting in course of course included prayer because it was a christian camp yeah that's what i was going to ask were they teaching you stuff about yeah christianity as well yes as we got older um there was a lot of a lot more christianity um that was kind of incorporated especially steve was the big like um he was he had his own youth group which we'll talk about later so he was really kind of like the preacher figure as well um when i eventually became a counselor at the camp I kind of toned it down a little bit because I'm also very gay. Um, So, you know, there's that aspect as well. But needless to say, Christianity was a big part of the camp. Mm -hmm. Um, Another important fact about the teen program is that the boys and the girls, for the most part, were separated. Um, There were times when we would all come together, you know, for normal group stuff. Um, And I will refer to that time as mixed company. Because that's what Steve referred to it as. Oh, we're in mixed company. So mm-hmm. all of the things we do with just us guys, that can't happen in mixed company. Like, all right, whatever, weirdo. Um, so traditionally, 
the boys group, Steve ran for years. Um, okay. I mean, I like I said, I started in fourth grade. He had been leading the boys group since the second I got there. And okay. he had been there for many, many years before that. Um, for the most part, it was just him. But my first year in the program, um, he eventually, he got a co-counselor, which I'll talk about later. Um, and the weird thing with Steve is he never told anyone how old he was. So like picture this essentially Santa Claus-esque figure, nasty gray beard that he insisted was blonde. Dude, you were you had blonde hair, like your beard is gray. Mm-hmm. Um, wrinkly eyes, six foot two, like huge so he guy. he's older. He's, oh, a lot older. Okay. So he told us that he started working at camp when he was 16. Um, and when my final year as a counselor, he was... Uh, celebrated for his uh, serving 25 years at the camp. And so he never told us how old he was, but I did the math and that would have put him at 41 in his 25th year. So when I was his camper, he would have been 36. Okay. So this is like a 36 year old man working with 14, no, 13 through 16 year olds. Also like objectively not weird. Mm -hmm. So not really a red flag, but also he had been doing it for like 15 years. So just a little strange. Um, there was also a girls group um, with a counselor or two. And then we had a head counselor who supervised both the boys group and the girls group. Um, so like I said, in the, my first year, the program had grown significantly. So Steve, for the first time, had a co-counselor um, to be with the boys. But the girls just had the the one counselor and then the head counselor who worked with them. Um, and then you asked about, is it an, is it a day camp? Yes. But every Thursday into Friday, we go on an overnighter, um, where, which would be somewhere relatively far away, um, either the beach or the mountains or whitewater rafting. So it's kind of like a trip. Yeah. A trip where we'd get on the bus for like three to four hours, um, do like a camping thing or an activity during the day, camp overnight. And was that only for the teens? Uh, it was for Yes, okay. Thursday into Friday was the teens. Okay. Every other group starting in third grade did it Friday nights Got into it. Saturday. Okay. Um, so Steve was also the bus driver for us. So like he played many different and roles. Many talents. Many, many talents. Um, so he uh was also a bus driver for a local public school system. So like this man was anywhere children were involved, he was there. Um and most of the lawlessness, ironically, happened on the bus. Um, so because of these weekly overnighters, we had to store all of our luggage. Um, so Steve took the six seats in the back of the bus um, out of the bus so that we could store the luggage. Um, and it was great storage space for when we were on the overnighters. When we weren't storing luggage, uh, we had dance parties back there while the bus was moving. So like super unsafe. Um, and... We painted the roof of the bus, like on the inside, we signed our names on it. So it was like our personal space. Um, my first year, there was this trend of like everyone sitting on the top of the seats. So like it, people are dancing in the back of the bus. Uh-huh. People are sitting on top of the seats, like on the backs of the seats, just right. hanging out. Um, any limb or any body part whatsoever is certainly out the window. Um, for the most parts, the buses for our camp were these, this like um, baby blue. Like everybody knew. Mm-hmm. If you saw the baby blue, baby blue bus, like that was the camp that I was at. Um, because of our 
absurd party-like lawless atmosphere Steve wanted to do anything he could to distinguish our bus as like, no, we are not part of this camp. So um, he took the name of the camp and the phone number off of the side of the bus. And um, we also painted the bus camo, which was pretty cool, like yeah. objectively wilderness theme. Okay. Um, but that way it was easy for us to pretend like we weren't representing this Christian camp. Um, and we were, you know, this like hardcore wilderness group and like, Oh, well, if we got in trouble, because like we're not associated with the camp, we're something else. Mm -hmm. Multiple times, Steve was pulled over um, as a bus driver really? with us like partying in the back. Oh, I remember we were like crossing the Bay Bridge and we get pulled over and they're like, dude, there's somebody standing like in the um, the steps going up to the bus. Like there were kids just standing there so that they could talk with Steve while he's driving. Like super unsafe. Yeah. Um, so like that's kind of the the overall lawlessness of right. what we were dealing with. So like super fun if you're a 13-year-old boy, but And did he ever get in trouble when you guys would go back to the camp? No, because okay. he had so much power at this place. Wow. Like okay. everybody just knew like, oh, that's Steve. Like, you know, the fun wilderness Steve. programs create <sighs> fun Steve. He used to call himself Big Steve. Yeah. It was a little really weird. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's really gross. Um, so on the overnighters, we'd spend all day Thursday doing all the fun stuff. Um, then we'd get to our campsite. We'd cook dinner from scratch, um, set up camp, set up our tents, have a huge bonfire. Um, and then we'd have our group time after dinner, which is where the more Christian stuff came in. Um, that's where we'd start in our mixed company, you know, boys and girls. Um, nobody in the in between because bon non-binary people don't exist at Christian camp. Um and then we'd split off. And group time was like the most quintessential Christian time. Like anybody who's been to a religious retreat camp, it's it's that experience. Um, it's essentially like Bible time with a mega church. Um, and so during group time, Steve would prepare some big message and then share it with all of us before we break out into our uh, gendered groups to discuss said message and talk a little bit further. Um, so the important thing about the timing of group time is we had just spent 12 hours um, at the beach or hiking or whitewater rafting. So we're exhausted. We had also set up camp, cooked food, danced on the bus for four hours and what have you. Um, so we're also incredibly exhausted, emotionally vulnerable, just like, you know, ready to be having that conversation of believing in a higher power. Um, and this is the formula for most Christian camps, yeah. you know, they get you tired, um, and you're like, you want to go to bed, but then they tell you this like crazy story about whatever. And you're like, wow, that's so impressive. And, um, an example of some of the stuff we would talk about is, uh, like, I remember there was this one kid who shared and he was in high school at the time. Um, he shared about his struggles with masturbation. And he, like, the fact that that was just, like, I was like, I remember at the time, I was like, this is weird. Like, there's mm -hmm. like 20 other boys in the room. Like, why are we talking about this? But then also, why are we talking about this with an adult? Like, it just, this right. is a, talk about this with your doctor. Yeah. Um, or even like just one-on-one. One yeah. yeah. Um, so two to three hours of like trauma um, sharing. Okay. And it, it was just- Was that required? Not required, okay. but it was the culture. Got it. Um, and so Big Steve would start each thing with this like really absurd story about 
something that he experienced in his life. And then that was kind of like the catalyst for all of our, our sharing. Okay. Um, and then at the end of the um, group time, you know, some people would commit their lives to Jesus Christ and all that good stuff. Um, and then we'd go to bed and it was like, okay, slay, let's wake up the next day and do something absurd. Um, so that was kind of the vibe of the overnighters. Um, and before I get into the logistics of the whole grooming, it's important for me to talk about the dynamics between Steve and his co-counselor because they hated each other. Mm -hmm. um, like objectively, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, when you think about like how these two are adults that are supposed to be working together for the bettering and the sake of the safety of children, like that's not what happened. Um, many times when I talk about Steve, the question I get is like, where's the co-counselor? And um, the answer was like, Steve would do whatever he could to get the co-counselor somewhere else um, because he was a super jealous person, huge red flag. Um, and he did not want us to have any sort of relationship with this other co-counselor. Um, so he would do what he could to keep us away. Um, maybe he'd be sending him off to do like the little, uh, you know, the bitch work. Oh, go fill up the cooler for me or go start the fire. Um, or, you know, he just essentially bad mouth this guy when he's not around. Super like immature, inappropriate. Like, dude, right. you're an adult, grow up. Um, and he, through the power dynamic that already existed, he found a way to kind of make it seem like this co-counselor was his assistant counselor. And he really was not... Um, like Steve was still the main person and this was just a, you know, an extra adult for the sake of numbers. Um, and because the co-counselor signed up for camp under the impression that he'd have his own group, of course, he was really resentful of Steve and the fact that Steve would try to like make it seem like he was an assistant. Um, so they really didn't like each other for that reason. Um, but Steve was especially jealous of this man because he was in his twenties and, you know, Steve, never told anyone his age. Sorry, Steve, if you're watching this, first of all, fuck you. Um, second of all, um, I hope you like this. Third of all, um, we all know that you're like in your forties now and you were in your thirties at yeah. the time. So like old you're old. Man. Yeah. Old man. Um, and the, the co-counselor was in his twenties. He was a cool guy. This was 2012. Doug Ying was really big at the time. So mm -hmm. he was like teaching us all how to Dougie and Steve hated that. He was like always making fun of the Dougie. Because um, he couldn't do it. Because he couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah, Steve was really jealous of the fact that this young man, this younger guy was like seen as the cooler guy. You know, he's not as he's not as cool as Big Steve. And how many of you would you say were in the group, like in the group at a time? <laughs> Good question. I'd say like 20 something, 26. So it's a big number. It's a big okay. number. Yeah. So um, it used to be like 15 to 18. The reason okay. why we got the co-counselors is because we were in the upper 20s. Got it. Plus the girls. So I'd say total we were in 30, 35. Okay. Um, but it was only two groups, like boys right. and girls. Uh -huh. okay. Boys and girls. So there were the two male counselors and then there was the girl counselor and then the head counselor. And it wasn't broken up between ages? And that was like, nope. Okay. So that was only for like the wilderness. Right. Thing. Yeah. So okay, got it. we had, so yeah, in the main camp, they had 14 through or 13 through 14 and then 15 through 16. We just had 13 through 16. Got it. Which is also a pretty significant age yeah. range. Um, so a little strange. Um, but the dynamics of Steve and the co-counselor really came into play at the end of every day when Steve would say goodbye to us. 
a normal adult like me with my students now, I'd be like, hey, you know, great day today. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, Steve always insisted on hugging us. And he would end every day with this horrible statement, like, love, love, love. But he would say it in the most obnoxious voice. He'd be like, love, love, love. And it was just so weird. And we would hug him. Um, and I was not a hugging person. Like, that was not my mm -hmm. vibe. Um, but we all hugged Steve individually. Um, and I saw everyone else do it. So I was like, oh, well, you know, they've all been doing it for years. I guess this is just what, this is what Teen Wilderness does. We hug Steve. Um, so, you know, we, we hugged every day and it wasn't the camp appropriate side hug, which is like, a, oh, mm -hmm. hi. It was like full on like bear hug. Like my face is in his nasty ass beard. Um, I remember like cringing every time. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so that's like. Steve in a nutshell of okay. like the dynamics of Steve. Um, and you'd think that, you know, after our cute little hug and our love, love, loves, um, you know, we'd be done until the next day. Uh, but I had the privilege of receiving the um, the nighttime messages from Steve on Facebook. Uh, and that's where the, the weirdness starts. Um, and so, you know, uh, every week Steve would post photos of the group um on his facebook which like again a little bit weird that mm -hmm. you have like all these albums of kids on your facebook but i get it that's your you know his entire being was dedicated right. to this camp so sure you know not that abnormal like now we would use google drive hopefully but i get it it was 2012 um and so while my online interactions with steve started with just like liking the photos commenting on the photos everyone else is doing it um, it quickly moved into Steve messaging me okay. on and Facebook. And remind me how old you were again? 12. So like okay. I legally shouldn't have had a Facebook. Um, oops. It you happens. Know. Yeah, it happens. Um, I also had a Twitter at the time, which I made because I wanted to follow Snooki. So okay. like that was this like right. that was the extent of my online interactions were like following Snooki, watching Jersey Shore, and then like scrolling through the Wilderness Teens Facebook. Um, so... Like I said, Steve would message me like every single night, um, which is weird. Uh, but even weirder was that I was never the one to initiate the messages. It'd be one thing if I were like, hey, Steve, like loved the photo. Nope. Like um, I would get the messages from him. I knew 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock p.m. would roll around and that Facebook messenger would go off like every night. I was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, and so I'd kind of like hold my breath. At first, it was not super... Right, because you didn't know what was what to expect yeah, at that point. Yeah, right. But then as more time goes on, I'm like, oh, God, like I hope Steve doesn't message me tonight. Yeah. And he usually did. Um, so just so that you have an idea of what these messages were like, um, I went through all of them before this because, you know, I keep the receipts. And um, the most notable one that I had uh, was a message from Steve at 1024 p.m. that he starts and sends to me, hey there, pooper. Pooper. Why am I pooper? I don't know. Oh my God. Like no. so weird. Hi, hey there, pooper. Just like weird, weird dude. Steve, it, like I'm not, Steve deserves every bad comment, but at the same time, like I don't like to comment mean things on people that I don't know, but like Steve's a fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no. a weird man. Good. And like there yeah. is some. I haven't heard the whole story yet, but there is something <laughs> twisted, I'm thinking, that had happened to Steve or Steve mm -hmm. was born twisted. I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. But like, 
it's almost like he holds on to this youth uh-huh. and it, yeah. in, a, in the worst way possible. Right. Yeah. Because I'm 26. My students ask me how old I am. I tell them 26 immediately. Um, but that was like such a big thing. I'm talking like Steve, like we would jokingly steal yeah. his wallet to like pull out his ID and his ID was like taped so that we couldn't see his birthday. Like it was that he was that secretive about how old he was. Um, and so, yeah, right. weird guy. And there's going to be things I'm going to talk about where like you're allowed to laugh and I'm going to laugh about okay. it too because this man is so right. strange. It's weird. Um, he's so weird. So, hey there, pooper, um, was my first message from Steve. Um, Would you say, hey there, pisser? I don't, I don't even, <laughs> just like, <laughs> probably like, hey, daddy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no clue. Oh my God. I did not screenshot my response. Um, <laughs> In fact, actually, I think I did because that was the one where I was like, what the hell did this guy yeah. just say to me? So I, I would leave my Facebook Messenger after I started catching on. Mm-hmm. I would leave my laptop open so that it said I was online all the time so that he never knew when I was actually online. Got it. Okay. So that I could get away with not responding. And right. that was one that I was like, oh, so sorry. Like, didn't see this one okay. uh, the next morning. So you didn't respond to that right away? Not to that okay. one. Many of them I did. but Okay, this, not to the pooper. That not was the pooper, little, yeah. Okay. Um, this was just, and it was also 10, 24 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just, the pooper was just one of the screenshots that I had because I, truthfully, just I just found it absurd. Bizarre, yeah. yeah. Um, but there are many other honorable mentions that I'll go through now. Um, so uh, a big honorable mention was um, when he used to tell me that he was drinking at night. Um, even though the counselors, and I say this as a former counselor at the camp, were explicitly told that they couldn't drink during the summer. So a direct quote I got from Steve was when he messaged me saying, uh, I'm already relaxing if you know what I mean, dot, dot, dot. Keep that between us because it's kind of against the rules. And I was like, uh, what do you mean by against the rules or what do you mean by relaxing? And he said, as long as it's just between us, counselors are not supposed to drink during the summer, but I'm a grown man. So I think it's okay on a Friday night. I might be jumping ahead, Mm -hmm. but do you think that he was messaging other people as well? Or do you think that he had more of like this drawn thing to you? There was an archetype that he was looking for. Um, There were four of us and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but um, there were four kids that were kind of like targeted. targeted. Okay. Um, I don't know if they are actively aware that they were targeted, but looking back on it and kind of talking with the other adults that yeah. were involved, we kind of were like, yeah, it's those okay. four. And then would he, after you'd get these messages, would he say anything to you the next day yeah. or act like it uh-huh. didn't happen? Oh, he would say in the messenger, um, and I'll read some of those messages too, but okay. it would essentially be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I just get a little crazy at night. Um, okay. So- Anyway, so he says um, he says that he can drink on a Friday night. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, you're in your 30s telling a 13-year-old that you're drinking. Like, right. weirdo. Um, and so I said in response, um, what does that have to do with relaxation? Because I didn't know mm-hmm. what – I don't know how adults unwind at night after a long day. And he says, drink a glass of wine equals relaxation. Um, so I have no idea how to respond to that. Um, so I don't. And then he says, TMI for one of my campers, I know, but I feel I can be honest with you. And hopefully you will be honest with me when you have something you need to talk about. Mind you, I'm 13. <laughs> I'm like, um, w- why are you being honest with me? Like, don't you have your adult friends you can be honest with? 
Um, and Steve's not a therapist. He's not a therapist, no. And uh, he doesn't need to be. And um, mind you, these messages are riddled with typos. So like, he's not, this is not just one glass of wine on a Friday night. This is like, I'm drunk texting a 13 year old. Um, so uh, also like, let's just preface with the fact that adults should never be asking kids to keep things a secret. Like no. in the, the lesson I I teach kids, part of the reason that they were laughing is because I was like, an adult should never ask you to, to keep a secret. And they were like, that's absurd. Like, why not? And I was like, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, there's adults who are going to tell you to keep things a secret, like the fact that they're drinking at night. And then that's just like the gateway drug mm -hmm. of like, oh, well, keep that a secret. What else are you going to keep a secret? Um, and so because he's asking me to keep things a secret, I feel like that's part of the reason that I never told my parents about these messages. Um, because I was like, these are weird for me. And he's asking me to keep it a secret and I got to protect Steve yeah. and I can't let, you know, I can't get Steve fired because he's not supposed to be drinking. And I, I think too, at that age, even if we don't fully understand things or what's happening around us, we can trust our gut. And I think mm -hmm. that like, like things would happen to me as a kid that like, yeah. I, even though I didn't understand it, I knew it just was weird or yeah. wrong. And I think at that age too, it, the first thing we want to do is not tell our parents. Like that's mm -hmm. like, not, we're not going to run and tell our parents. We're yeah. not at that really young age and we're not at the old age where we can handle, handle it ourselves. Yeah. We're like at this in-between. And I think it's awkward to go mm -hmm. to a parent. And so it's like, like you said, you know that if you do go to your parents, you know what's going to happen. He's going to yeah. get in trouble. Someone's going to find out. It's going to, it just almost mm -hmm. seems worse Yeah, at that age, right. I feel like. And then everyone's going to hate me. It's because yeah. Steve is this powerful, notorious person. Right. He's so charismatic. Everybody loves him. I can't be the one to say that Steve's drinking on yeah. a Friday night. So I didn't. Um, so <laughs> another honorable mention is uh, when Steve then tells me that he has a drinking problem. So first he's telling me he's drinking. Like, okay, weird. Then he's telling me he has a drinking problem. Maybe you can help. Yeah, maybe. As You know, maybe I can. I, mm -hmm. I can help people with their drinking problems now. I probably could have still done right. it in 13. So the message he says is, by the way, if you ever notice I'm talking crazy and seem different than I am at camp, I'm sorry. I have a small problem I'm working through. I feel bad because I say some crazy stuff sometimes at night that I would never normally say. Again, riddled with typos. Um, so when I tried to normalize the way of, you know, saying weird things at night, because, you know, you get a little kooky at night, you have a Sprite and you're crazy. Um, you know, I'm a child, so I'm just like trying to relate, I guess. Um, he says, when I get this way, I'm a completely different person. And a lot of the times I regret what I said the next morning, like you asked about. And so I'm like, I'm thinking like, dude, you need a therapist right. uh, and a treatment program. Right. Not, you need help. Not a 13 year old. Um, so <laughs> the weird, again, um, another honorable mention is when he tries to guilt trip me into saying that I like him more than I like the other counselor. So the co-counselor, the head counselor, the girl counselor. Um he messages me, yeah, man, I'm ashamed to admit I thought you loved the other names, um, but just put up with me. It's probably because of the bus trips and Twitter stuff. I told you about Snooky. Um, you are such a unique and amazing kid that I was okay with it as long as I had you in my group. Do me a favor and keep this combo between us. So again, and now he's telling me to keep the fact that he's yeah. jealous that I'm friends with other adults between the two of us. And is this all one night or this is multiple? Oh, this is over the course okay. of the first summer. So. Got it. Like multiple different nights combined. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's okay. there's tons of nights and tons of messages. Mm -hmm. These are just the honorable mentions that I screenshotted after the after um the the final incident. Okay. And so 
again, he's asking me to keep a conversation a secret. Um, well, Steve, it's been 10 years. It's not a secret anymore. Um, and it hasn't been a secret since 2019. Every June, I like to post the screenshots mm -hmm. um, just to like celebrate Pride Month um, and be like, this is what happened to yeah. me. Yeah, good for you. Um, so another honorable mention is when he asked me to guess his age. Um, and I assumed 35, which I was correct I about you said 65. Oh, that would have been awesome. He looked younger at the time. Okay. He looks much older now. Um, and when I guessed that he's 35, which was correct, um, his response was, holy crap, really? I look and act that old. Okay. I guess it's time for me to jump off a bridge. Oh God. How am I as a 13 year old supposed to respond to an adult telling me that he's going to jump off a bridge? Cause I guessed that he's 35 years old. Um, also, like, let's not joke about suicide, yeah. one. Two, like... And to a child. A child. How am I supposed to respond to that? Like, oh, haha. -ha. That's why I'm saying, like, I feel like his mind was just not... Like I said, obviously he had problems, mm -hmm. but it's almost like he was trying so hard to be your guys' age. Yeah. yeah. Like, your friends. And, and which is weird if you're 18. Yeah. It's weird if you're 20. It's weird if you're 25. It's creepy if you're 28. It's creepier if you're 30 and he's 35. At the youngest that I knew him, he was 35. So there's that. Um, anyway, so he tells me he's going to jump off a bridge because I, you know, guessed his age correctly. Um, but another honorable mention is when he tries to guilt trip me into forming stronger relationships with the, the head counselor than I did with him. Um, and he says, you know, he's put a lot of effort into pursuing you and I can respect that. Um, you guys are close as far as a teenage boy and a woman can be, but you are my bro and bro love is completely different. So the, I, the pronouns are a little confusing because uh, this head counselor has since transitioned. Okay. Um, he is male. Um, but in these messages, Steve is referring to him, um, by the pronouns that he was identifying with at the time. Okay. Um, so he's saying that, you know, oh, a relationship with, with a, a grown man is different than a relationship with a woman. Right. It's like, uh, Either way, I'm 13. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and and who really gives a shit? Yeah, Steve? right. Yeah. And so then he says, just keep in mind as head counselor, she can get away with playing favorites. But as group counselor, I can't. That doesn't mean I love you any less than her. I'm like, this has never once crossed my mind that an adult loves me less than another adult. Right. Like, why is that his focus? Um, but it was a big focus for him. Um, another honorable mention is when he tried to convince me that the N-word started out as innocent. There was literally no context behind this. Um, the message I have is, quote, gay, queer, the R-word, and the N-word, he used the actual slurs, um, all started out as nice little innocent words. And when I was like, oh, I didn't know that, because like, what does that even mean? He said, slave owners started calling slaves the N-word, and he used the N-word, um, because they were uneducated. And I was like, okay, like, why are you telling me about the, like, your interpretation of the history of slurs? Like, right. cool. Anyway, weird. Um, but then another weird thing he did was um, when he randomly messaged me Heil Hitler um, because he said that he's a third generation German. And then he tried to play it off by redirecting the conversation to the upcoming Christmas party. Um, and when I responded to the Christmas party comment and not the Hitler comment, um, he says, or I said, bring on the root beer. And his response was F the root. So he's like, let's get drunk at my Christmas party. What? <laughs> like, dude, you're, I'm 13. I am 13 years old. So the, 
those messages from Steve are the, again, just pointing to his character okay. um, and the nature of our interactions. Obviously, they're a little bit more vulgar online because he's clearly hammered. Mm -hmm. um, but the interactions on a daily basis at camp were also very similar to that. Um, so <laughs> the culture at camp overall, you know, uh, the use of slurs and racist language um, was pretty normal for Steve when we weren't in mixed company, of course. If we were in mixed company, Steve is the most you know, politically correct version of himself, which yeah. is still not very great. Um, and so the teen program was predominantly white. You know, it is what it is. Um, and we had a few different kids with the same name. Um, and Steve insisted that we called one of them who was the oldest of them and had been there the longer black name. So like, just for the sake of the example, let's say the kid's name is Patrick. There was Patrick. And then there was Black Patrick. Um, and we were instructed by Steve to call Patrick, the older one, Black Patrick, because he's the only black guy in the group. Um, and uh, Steve, you know, self-identified as an equal opportunity offender, um, which allegedly made his racist jokes A-OK. -okay because, you know, he was making jokes about um, lynching. And he would justify those jokes because, oh, I also make anti-Asian jokes. So it's okay. I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't understand how, like, okay, I get if he had this power, but I don't understand how this was okay. Like, would he do this and say these things in front of other counselors? Mm -hmm. Yep, he would. And he had, again, he had that systemic power. And he historically was you know there the, so long yeah right one of the counselors that's was crazy asian yeah and i remember they would do these skits that i don't even want to repeat but we were we recently like got together and kind of debriefed all of this and she was like i can't believe he put me in a situation to perpetuate all of those asian stereotypes and like it that's just what it was because that's how we do it here in teens that's how steve is we don't question it that's just what it is Really weird. Yeah. Um, and so there was actually only one kid who ever stood up to Steve when it came to his racist jokes. Um, so this guy was um, Indian and Steve had made some horribly racist uh, joke about Indians. And, um, and, and to be honest, maybe like I genuinely don't know if he was Indian or if Steve just said that he could have been Middle Eastern. Like mm -hmm. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't know. But either way, he was not white. And so he went to Steve's supervisor and was like, this needs to stop. Um, when it got back to Steve, Steve um, encouraged us to ostracize him and say like, oh, well, he can't take a joke. So we have to tone down the racist jokes this week. Sorry, guys. And like that was this whole like, you know, oh, man, no racist jokes this week, kids. Not in mixed, not like. Not in mixed company, not in just guys, because we got this asshole who's reporting us for the racist jokes. Um, the what Steve would bring up, you know, within mixed company is virginity. I feel like that's like the quintessential Christian thing is like, you know, don't have sex until you're married. Mm -hmm. um, and every year, Steve would tell this absurd story with this like allegory of how, or analogy of how having sex before marriage is like opening your Christmas presents before Christmas because 
Um, when you're married, you know, it's, it's not going to be exciting if you've done it before. Just like on Christmas morning, if you open your presents before that, then, oh, well, there's no exciting thing about Christmas because you already know what it's like to open your presents. So like every year we were talking about how we shouldn't be having sex. And I was like, I'm 13. I don't even think I know but what that is. But also like to view it in the sense of excitement. Mm-hmm. Like, Just, come on. Yeah. Like weird. Not not the right way to be preaching about why you should be waiting to have sex. No. But okay, Steve. And Steve also told us that he was a virgin. I'm like, okay. Like, because he's like very incredibly single and a virgin because he's not married. And we're like, dude. Like, Do you think he really was? Oh, God. I don't want to think about that. But probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. He was really, really insistent that we are, um, <laughs> that we were virgins. So okay. definitely a virgin. Um, the most horrible, horrible thing about Steve, which I've said a lot of pretty awful mm -hmm. stuff, um, is this concept of prick Steve and Steve hated disrespect. Um, and you know, as someone as jealous as he is, he felt disrespected a lot. And when he felt disrespected, that's when his alter ego prick Steve would come out. And would he call himself that? Uh-huh. No, it was never himself. It was his alter ego. Oh. So like he, Steve but is- But he came up with that name. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steve is absolved of all wrong because prick Steve comes out and I, I am not prick Steve. You, and we as the campers were always responsible for prick Steve coming out, of course. Um, so it was literally- like knowing what I know now about after taking domestic violence courses and learning about abuse, Steve had us wrapped around his finger through the cycle of abuse with the use of prick Steve. Um, because we'd spend every day kind of walking on eggshells, making sure that we didn't disrespect him. Um, if we did disrespect him, then prick Steve came out. And um, prick Steve would scream and would berate us and would get really, really angry. And we would just, it would like put us all like in this really tense on edge, um, you know, state. And then at the end of the day, of course he's, he would apologize um, that prick Steve came out, but then reiterate that it was because we disrespected him that it came out. So like, again, not his fault. Prick Steve came out because you prompted him to come out. Like you called him out by disrespecting right. me. Um, and again, like if we think about the fact that like racist jokes were encouraged, jokes about his mom were also like a-okay. Um, but the second that we disrespected him because we weren't listening to him or we made it seem like he was not all knowing, then there was prick Steve. And then of course, at the end of the day, he'd say, oh, well, tomorrow's going to be better because you all aren't going to disrespect me. Um, and I remember he always said, there's only one rule in this, in this group and it's respect. And it was like, you know, everything else, do whatever he the hell does you that want. So well. Right. He's guys. so respectful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we were super, we were so stuck in this cycle of abuse <laughs> that our head counselor had to create a Steve Appreciation Day. We had counselor appreciation day. We had head counselor appreciation day. We had assistant counselor appreciation day. But we also had Steve Steve and Appreciation what is, Day. What was that? Um, it was a day that we all wrote cards to Steve and gave him gifts and celebrated him for how great he is. That's disgusting. Uh-huh. 
And I'm because sure he ate that up. Oh, he did. Because he couldn't fathom the idea of being celebrated with, with other people. The co-counselor and then the girls counselor. And then God forbid the head counselor gets celebrated on his own because right. there's a head counselor appreciation day. But Steve couldn't stand the fact that somebody who through a professional position was more important than him. Steve needed Steve Appreciation Day. And was this still within the same summer? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, this is all the first summer. So I'm getting the messages at night. We're celebrating Steve Appreciation okay. Day during the day. Um, and then the next day, like jokes about racist stuff are going on. Okay. Um, so knowing what I know now, I would imagine that the creation of Steve Appreciation Day was really just our head counselor's way of- Shutting him up? Shutting him up, probably, but then also like preventing Prick Steve from coming out. Okay. Um, So in a sense, it was kind of harm reduction. Mm -hmm. And he definitely knew what he was doing. Like he would do anything he could to navigate the relationship so that, you know, Prick Steve didn't come out, which is also why so much was just like allowed to just kind of slide. Um. There is one time where um, Prick Steve comes out on a lifeguard at the pool that we're at because I guess Steve got in trouble for picking up a kid and throwing him in the pool. And the lifeguard, the 16-year-old lifeguard was not happy about that. And Steve screamed at this kid. Like in in a way that is completely like, I mean, a way you would see in movies as like the abusive father, like, you know, berating the mother in a family like that's how he was treating this lifeguard we got kicked out of the pool or he got kicked out of the pool that day we almost weren't allowed to return like because of the fact that he couldn't take being told off for right. doing something following inappropriate the rules. following the rules yeah so like that's why we were allowed to sit on the backs of the seats or we were allowed to dance in the back of the bus when it was on the highway because steve doesn't have rules right and no one tells big steve what to do <laughs> Um, and so there is also, um, a time that, you know, this was actually my second year, but still relevant. There was a time where, um, you know, Steve appreciation day is coming up. We got to figure out what we're doing for big Stevie. Um, and these two guys who are also, I would say, um, kind of like within the group of the four of us that were sort of his, his, you know, preferred kids. Um, two of them were, talking individually with the head counselor and with the co-counselor um, away from the group. And um, Steve sees that and Prick Steve comes out simply because these two boys are talking to two other adults that aren't Steve. Um, and so he's screaming, he's so angry. Um, and the reason that they are talking to the counselors is because they're trying to come up with a gift for Steve, for Steve Appreciation Day. And that year, for whatever reason, bucket hats were like the big thing. This mm-hmm. is 2013. So everyone's got bucket hats on. And um, so they are trying to figure out like what kind of custom bucket hat can we get Steve for Steve Appreciation Day? And they're over in a corner talking about it. And so in order to placate the situation and and get prick Steve to go away, the head counselor has to explain to Steve that oh we were we were together because we were talking about your gift and here is the gift that we were discussing and now the surprise is ruined so but you know it's coming don't worry um and apparently according to the head counselor he told me recently that he has a text from steve that says even if they gave me that gift it would have been tainted with the memory of that awful day so steve was so triggered 
by the fact that these two teenage boys who were 13 at the time were talking with other adults about a gift for him. And that made the day awful for him. Like this dude was not well. No. Not at all. (laughs) And then he banned bucket hats after that. (laughs) No bucket hats allowed because, because, um, you know, Bucket hats were the reason. It makes that. me wonder, like, what happened? Like, what was his childhood like? Probably not. Very I'd good. like. I'd love to know. I. I mean, that's. There has to be a lot. There's trauma there, and and that's it's like control. It's uh-huh. like all, there's so many different. Yeah. There's so many different things in there, mm-hmm. and I like I, from you know, of course, the empathic part of me and the counselor side of me wants to empathize with that part of him, and like. You know, I feel bad if something bad happened yes. to him as a kid. Oh yeah, but like, but you're an adult. Yeah, and it makes or breaks that. you. Yeah, and if something's wrong, get help. Right, exactly. And you don't. Like, and I, I don't care. I fully blame the other counselors as well mm-hmm. because, and I'm sorry if they're watching, but if you see something going on, mm-hmm. and fuck that. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that. I mean, I will say the head counselor has told me that his his biggest regret is not intervening Good. More. yeah as it should be yeah and i mean that i he is so awesome and so yeah. supportive and, and i'm sure yeah and like i said like i'm not yeah, trying yeah. to it's a uh, that's my opinion yeah okay just because how do we prevent things like this from happening mm-hmm. we have we live in a world where it is so important to step in yeah if you see somebody getting beat up on the side of the road mm-hmm. and they're helpless yeah they're going to get killed if people don't step in and help. Right. And yeah. I think that I just look at situations like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and yes, like there you know were, what I mean? there were definitely things that could have been intervened, should have been. And intervened. I think people, and look, people might've been scared of him. People might've thought it was just easier not to deal with it. And I, mm-hmm. and I get that. Yeah. But I think that like, we're talking about children and mm-hmm. like the older I've gotten and I'm still so young, but the older I've gotten, I've realized Every single thing that happens to children, it stays with them. Yeah. Like their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And whether they work through it or not, it's there. Yeah. And it's the like, it's terrible. And yeah. like, that's honestly one of the reasons I don't want to have kids. Right. Because they are so fragile. And mm-hmm. like every little thing that happens, it's like, it's going to make them who they are. It's going to yeah. break them. Right. Yeah. Steve I, was clearly very broken. So broken. You know? Um. Yeah. And he... <laughs> Yes, there was. I'm sure there was a lot going on. Um, he talks to us about his daddy issues. So there's, you know, the, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then you said later. too, like his, there was open jokes about his mom. His right? mom. Yeah. So he, he, he had mommy issues and his dad had passed away. Okay. Um, but he was really jealous of his mom's new boyfriend. And because of that, he like yeah, hated his mom. Yeah, it's like a mom. male thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it was weird. But... Um, Anytime kids did something without him, he would get jealous. Um, and so many of us, as normal teenage boys did, we played Xbox together, like Call of Duty and whatever. Um, and Steve set out to buy an Xbox to play with us online, um, which given his financial situation, which I'll talk about a little bit later, like is even weirder that he went and spent the X amount of money to get an Xbox because he couldn't afford that. Um, and... You know, if you're familiar with the culture of the Xbox Live lobby in 2013, it was not a safe space. Yeah. Um, at 
And so, you know, Steve loved it because all those slurs that he was slinging anyway, like everyone else in the lobby was doing it. So I feel like that's how a lot of things were back. In the yeah. Day. Like even like everybody had words or mm-hmm. ways to type things to get yeah. around. Right. The stuff that you weren't allowed to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So like I, I can't excuse it and say that it was part of the 2013 culture, but it, like it was not OK, right. but it was that the culture of Xbox Live, unfortunately. Um. So anyway, all of that happened over the summer. And you'd think that as uncomfortable as I was over the summer, after all of the hugs and all of the Facebook messages that, um, you know, I would not want to see Steve until the next year. Um, But because everyone else loved him, I convinced myself that this is all fine and normal. Um, And when the summer ended, Steve gave us all his phone number. And many of us actually already had it at that point. Um, but he also tells us that he never intends to change his number. So if we ever need big Steve, um, we can just reach out to him. And it wasn't until I became a camp counselor that I was like realizing how abnormal that is to give your number to, Mm -hmm. you know, a child. I, in my current role, there is one time that I have ever given my Google voice number to a student. And when I did, it was a very specific situation that was backed by my administrator. Every single screenshot went directly to my administrator. Like we were, like this was a very specific situation. I would never Mm -hmm. give my personal number out to a child. Every single child had it. Um, And it's actually, um, I'm not gonna dox him, but his number is still in his Instagram bio. So if you need it, Big Steve's still there. Um, (laughs) Never change his number. (laughs) No. Um, so even though I should have been grateful that I never had to see Steve again until the next summer, um, Steve had a youth group called 650 Youth, um, that he ran, um, and he encouraged everybody from camp to participate in it. Um, and he ran these events called Friday Night Outs or FNO, which were his year round events, um, where we would do fun stuff and then we'd have group time. Uh, similar to the overnighters, just no actual overnighters this time. Um, And of course, everybody from camp was invited. People from the church he worked at were invited. And then the weirdest thing is that he invited people on the kid, or he invited the kids that rode his bus at the public school to these events. So like, imagine your kid comes off the bus and is like, mommy, my bus driver invited me to his youth group event on Friday. And these kids went. And their parents yeah. let them. Like, that's how charismatic this guy was. Um, and probably, too, because everything, anything can sound good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'd, we'd go bowling. We'd go laser tagging, do fun stuff. Um, and it would end with some sort of Bible time. Once a year, he'd host the annual ski trip at his family farm in Deep Creek, Maryland. Again, inviting camp people, church people, and the bus kids. So, like, these kids who maybe see him 30 minutes a day on his bus. Uh, Their families agree to let them go with him four hours away to Deep Creek, Maryland to stay at his family farm with their bus driver. Like, it's just weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know how any parent could make their mind up and feel comfortable with that. I know personally, my mom has told me a couple years ago that she always felt wary about Steve, but was like, well, if Logan likes him enough, then he must be safe. Right. Um, and so I guess that's kind of what happened. And unfortunately, like as a parent, I feel like you can only hope mm-hmm. that if something was going wrong, your child would tell you or hint yeah. it. But it's like, what can you really mm-hmm. do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. And yeah. So there's like, 
I'm sure many of the parents just didn't know. And right. they, they were like, oh, we like this guy. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we got good vibes. He's a public school system employee, so he can't be a bad person right. in theory. Um, I remember just like the ski trips were weird. Uh, there were many things that happened there that were strange. But just like to top it all off, um, there was a literal loaded shotgun at this the the family farm that we were on at the ski trip. So like safety was not. Did a he priority. show you guys, or was it something that you guys just like came across? We just came across okay. it. I think it was like hung up on the wall. Okay. Like there's my shotgun, and I remember the um, the head counselor at the time was was when we were debriefing everything. He was telling me like there was a time where he literally like held this shotgun behind his back because he's like trying to get it out of the house. He's like I can't let kids be around this, and right. so he's like trying to hide it as. He's like walking out like, oh, nothing to see here. But like to Steve, that was normal that there was a shotgun in his house and right. it was loaded. Um, oh, my gosh. And then so more of the over the summer stuff, graduation party um, photo gate is what I call it, like Watergate scandal like uh-huh. this, this thing. So it was very normal for everybody from camp to go to each other's high school graduation parties. Um, and, you know, they all came to mine. Um Yes. And I went to theirs and whatever. And Steve came, but he had to leave early for whatever reason. Um, and grad parties are, you know, four to six hours, whatever. So nobody's there the entire time. But we were kids. We had nothing better to do. So we just hung out there the whole time. Steve left. Um, after Steve left, the majority of us are there. So we take a photo. We post it on Instagram like any normal person would. Obviously, no malicious intent. Oh, God. It's uh, Right. You know where this is going. Um, it's just a photo. It's literally a photo. Yeah. Like I have, I'm like, I don't even were need Steve's to justify this. Steve's feelings hurt? Steve's feelings were so hurt. Because you was, guys waited till yeah, he left to take it. Because we intentionally waited until Steve left to take the photo and post it. <laughs> um, so, you know, prick Steve comes out, of course. It's like uh, scary uh, to think, like imagine if you had like, if you were a fly on the wall, mm-hmm. wherever he was, and you could like see his reactions to these things while he's alone. Like that's oh, like yeah. scary. Yes, very scary. Um, and so Prick Steve comes out. He tries to guilt us into retaking the photo or photoshopping him into it or deleting it. Those are our options. Oh. Um, so I think we ultimately deleted it. Um, actually, I was the Photoshop legend at the say, time. I was going to say, I would just put, put I did that in there. All the time. There, there he is. Photoshop him right in there, yeah. you know, problem solved. Steve was there the whole time. Um, so after we left, we all go to Panera. Um, and we knew where Steve's house was because we had been to the Christmas party. You know, remember um, F the Root? We're, we're getting full on beer. We never had full beer, but we knew where he lived. Mm-hmm. And the Panera that we had gone to was 10 minutes from his house. So Steve's all boohooing about this photo that was posted without him um, because we excluded him. So we're like, dude, just come join us at Panera. Mm -hmm. Like it was never that serious. We don't know why you left. No one told you to leave. You chose to leave. Like we're all still together. Come hang out with us because clearly you're texting us. This is really upsetting to you. You're not busy. Just come hang out with us. Um, And he's telling me. And so he's like calling me saying he can't come. I'm like, okay, well, we're literally 10 minutes down the street from you. But if you can't come, whatever, maybe you're mad about the photo and you're still trying to make us guilty about it. Or maybe um, your car's in the shop. I don't know why he left. But so he told me that he wasn't able to drive at the time. Again, I'm like, okay, no car. Um, And so he was like, but you can come over to my house. 
And we're like, okay, well, you're 10 minutes away. We've all been here before. It's not weird. Mm -hmm. But more so, we're like, why can't we stay at the Panera? Why can't you just meet us here? Whatever. Um, The girls wanted to stay at the Panera, so they stayed. Um, A few of the boys and me, we all felt the need to comfort Big Steve um, because, you know, that's our job. And so we were like, okay, let's let's go to his house. We've been here before. We know his dog. It's not weird. Um, so we we drive to his house. We show up, and he is blackout drunk. Oh like God. there are alcohol bottles and everywhere. This is after the graduation, uh-huh. part. okay. So he leaves early, presumably to go drink, and that's his reason for leaving. Maybe. And then of course he sees the photo and just like slams the bottle, like one after another, like blackout drunk. Um, and so he's crying and he's telling us how hurt he felt and how, you know, he is just so like offended by our photo and, um, it was so uncomfortable. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With Valentine's Day right around the corner, relationships is a huge topic right now, whether it's a romantic relationship, a relationship with friends, or your family. And something that's important to remember when it comes to relationships is that they are not always going to be easy. They can take a lot of work and a lot of communication, as we all know. And in my opinion, therapy is one of the best ways that we can navigate through these relationships, like I said, whether it's romantic, even work relationships, friendships, and I feel like it can really help us sort through these challenges, communicate through them, and figure out anything that might come up along the way. I know that I've mentioned this before and I'm going to say it again, but therapy is not just for people that have experienced trauma. I think it's great to have somebody that you can talk to, that you can open up to, that you feel comfortable with. I have found with therapy that I am able to set boundaries and better understand myself, learn proper ways to communicate, and really know how to calm myself and calm my brain when I'm feeling super anxious. If you are somebody that's been considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is so convenient, it's so flexible, and it is entirely online, which in my opinion makes things that much easier because you don't have to go into an office. And the best part of all, you can be in the comfort of your own home. And I always like to mention this as well. If for any reason you don't hit it off with your therapist, whether it's on the first try or the fifth try, you can change therapists at any point point for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash insane today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insane. And now back to today's episode. Like I, I, I'm at this point I'm in high, I'm 15 or 16, but it's like this grown man is blackout drunk. I'm in his house. I mean, thank God there's other people there who can like corroborate this story. He's crying to me. And this is where he starts bringing up his, you know, death of his dad, um, his mommy issues. Again, these are things that you tell your therapist, not the teenage boys who you told to come over to your house because you're too drunk to go to the local Panera. Um, So I didn't have my car. My friend drove me there so I couldn't leave. But I remember when he finally like we are just like side-eyeing each other the whole time like i can't believe we're in this situation like what do we do he goes to the bathroom and so we're like okay this is our moment like let's let's plan an escape and so we text the head counselor and i'm like kind of texting him the whole time like this is really weird like and he's like trying to help us brainstorm ways to get out 
And so we came up with this idea of like, oh, someone's got to get home. So we got to leave. So Steve finishes in the bathroom. He's either throwing up or peeing, one of the two. Um, both. <laughs> yeah, probably both. And uh, he, you know, we come back out. We're like, you know, we really got to go, Steve. Like, we really love you. We, we just, you know, it's we got to get home. And he's like, okay, like, you know, I don't want you to go, but I get it. And so we leave. Um, but like, I, I personally never felt unsafe around Steve until that very moment. Um, where I was like, this was scary. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know what this man was capable of. I don't know. Like he's hammered. I, I genuinely had never seen somebody so drunk then in that moment. It was like four or 5 PM in June. Like it was, it was not like, it's not like we were coming from the club. This man was coming from a graduation party. Um, so just weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And then um, there were times where I would see Steve, you know, multiple days a week as I got older because, you know, the Friday night outs were such a hit. Um, he decided to expand his youth group to include 650 youth nights on Mondays. Um, 650 youth night abbreviated was SYN or as he called it, SIN. So we had our SIN nights every Monday, um, which is just like a little bit funny, but like given everything else it's just like oh that's just one more weird thing right. to make this experience strange um so we would see steve on monday nights once a week on fridays and then he invited us to join at the nearby mega church where he was also a youth group leader so like here's where another dynamic plays in it's like okay steve's my camp counselor now he's my um small youth group leader and now i'm starting to go to church at this mega church where he's the youth group leader as well um and all of these Christian spaces gave him additional opportunities to bring up his drinking problem and, you know, the loss of his dad and his mommy issues on top of some new issues, which were his financial situation. Like, again, why are you talking about these with children? But like I said, he was a bus driver and he worked at camp all summer. So he was always telling us how poor he was. Um, either he was really dumb or really smart because he knew that the kids that he worked with like the population he drove for in in the school district was pretty wealthy mm. the camp population was pretty wealthy and the church population was also pretty wealthy so he knew you know maybe if i tell these kids about my financial situation they might feel bad for me and help me pay my bills um which they did so uh when he'd take us out to lunch on sundays after church um taking us out to lunch was just like okay everyone get in big steve's truck if you can drive, you can drive. Um, and then we'd all go out to lunch together, but Steve wouldn't have money to pay for lunch. So somebody would buy his lunch. And it was just like, oh yeah, it's our gift. Don't worry about it, Steve. Um, you know, Steve Appreciation Day, he'd get gift cards. You know, um, his birthday would roll around. We don't know how old he's turning, but we know we're getting him a gift card. Um, randomly, he would get checks in his mailbox throughout the year because of course everyone has his address for the Christmas party. So it's like, Somehow his entire life is being funded by yeah. teenage boys. Um, and over the course of the four years that I was in the teen program, there were two very traumatic deaths that had occurred. Um, Steve's third co-counselor, who was actually previously a youth group leader at the church, um, died by suicide that year. So that was, you know, of course, really complex for all of us. And then um, on our last camp field trip, my last day of camp as a camper, um, the 
one of the campers drowned in the lake that we were swimming at. Um, and so we were all there to witness that. And so like, mm. you know, we've got all this complex relationship with Steve and now we've all experienced this collective two traumas of right. really tragic deaths. Um, you know, our role was to comfort Steve in that time. Um, so when it should have been the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, mm -hmm. he played it out as, you know, I'm here for you, but it was really like, you know, we, we got to stay strong for big Steve. Um, and I think that's what really made me feel bad for him was how much he blamed himself for both of those deaths. Um, and how he wanted us to kind of like be more bonded after it. And he wanted us to tell him that it wasn't his fault. Um, I remember we were so, I was personally so brainwashed that I think the summer after that, I texted him happy father's day and I have a great relationship with my dad. Like he's probably going to listen to this podcast. Um, and I did at the time, but I felt the need to tell Steve that, you know, he is a father figure to so many, um, because he's done so much for us. Like, what the hell have you done yeah. for me besides give me trauma and cry in front of me about your, your personal problems. Um, so that was, my last year as a camper with those two things. And then, um, then I start really to see Steve just as strictly my youth group leader and, or my boss when I start working at the camp. Um, so we, you know, hung out two to three times a week, Monday nights, uh, Sundays at church. Sometimes there'd be a night of the week where I'd get dinner with him either by myself or with a friend. Um, I was in the in crowd of the Steve minions. Like I said, there were four of us. Um, all of us weren't super sporty, um, even though all of the others are straight. Uh, their behaviors and mannerisms as teenagers, and you know, retroactively, they set off my gaydar. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Um, and there's just like that, yeah. you know, that vibe. There's not this. There's, it's like okay, you're either a closeted gay kid or you're just like there's a little bit off about you where mm -hmm. you're not into sports, which is not weird. But that was kind of the the you. kid that he. Um, he gravitated towards. So um, my best friend at the time when I was in high school, I met through camp. Um, he also attended 650 youth nights. He was, um, you know, pretty involved in the mega church that Steve volunteered at. Um, and we would hang out like, you know, every single time we'd hang out with Steve, plus probably once or twice on our own. So we were super, super close. Um, and one day out of nowhere, Steve texts me asking me if I'm having sex with this kid. <laughs> um, so mind and you. you're how old at this point? 17. Okay. Maybe. Um, so like the amount of hoops and assumptions Steve had to, it was hoops Steve had to jump through yeah. and assumptions he had to make to ask that question are just absurd. Cause I was closeted. I wasn't even out to myself. Um, uh, he assumed I'm gay. He assumed the other boy was gay. He assumed we're secretly dating. He assumed we're secretly having sex. And of course, we're disobeying Big Steve who has the virginity talk with us every single year. Um, like this man texts me and says, are you having sex with him? Like as a middle school counselor now, again, like my, and I have sixth graders now, but my eighth graders sometimes would try to tell me about their antics. And I was like, nope, nope, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me like, that's gross. You're a child. I don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. He actively asked if I was having sex with another child. 
Did like, you respond? I was like, yeah, I responded, hell no. Like, I was like, no, of course not. Because what an egregious thing to assume about me. Right. Like, that's so bizarre. Did he answer? I guess so. I don't remember what he said, okay. but he probably said something like, oh, you know, you're just so close that I assumed. Which, like, yeah, weird. Like, why would you assume that? So the closer I get with Steve, um, the more he tries to isolate all of us, specifically this, like, core group from the head counselor. Um, so after the tragic death of the camper, um, the head counselor, you know, really distanced himself from camp. Um, because of course he was dealing with his own trauma yeah. in the same way that Steve was the difference being that, you know, he removed himself to get help as opposed to relying on children to provide that help. Um, so I remember Steve would try to text me to get information out of the head counselor because he was distancing himself. Um, and Steve would go on and on about how the head counselor was on a smear campaign against the camp and against Steve um, because he was, you know, just trying to bring to light all of these things that you previously were like, this, you know, this should have been reported. And he was trying to, uh, you know, it was a little bit too late, but he was now like, I think so he was removing himself and was able to like leave this brainwashed facade of being like, oh my God, this is bad. Mm -hmm. So he even went to the Washington Post and talked a little bit about this. Um, but, you know, of course, Steve is like framing it as like, this guy's crazy. He's just traumatized. He's trying to um, create, go on a smear campaign and say that I'm the bad guy. And so, of course, we believed Steve because that's what you do. You know, this is our leader. We can't go against him. So if, you know, the other head counselor is going to isolate himself, that's his choice. Um, so despite all of these obvious red flags, there were some pretty big sex offender scandals that were also going on at this camp at the same time that actually distracted me from the inappropriateness of Steve's behavior. So my first year working at the camp, I was 17. You had to be 18 to work there, but... Um, this is telling to how put together the camp is. Apparently the hiring manager didn't look at my birth date to confirm that I wasn't 18. So I was allowed to work there when I was 17, just cause she didn't check my birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I'm a minor and, um, working at camp under Steve's leadership, of course. And there was a counselor who gave me these really bad vibes. He wasn't in the wilderness program, but just like really weird guy. Um, he would like come up to me and rustle my hair and get very touchy with me. Um, and I would do anything I could to avoid this guy. And like, of course, I knew in the back of my head, like, I'm like, I'm a child, but I can't tell anyone that because mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, but either way, I looked very young. Right. So even if this guy is 22, 23. Either way, keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, don't touch me. Yeah. There's children around. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like the weirdest thing that, I mean, yes, I was a minor. I was cognizant of that too, but I was like, your third grade boys are right over there and you're like rustling my hair. Like what, what are you showing them right now? Um, so of course I told Steve about this guy and Steve helped me to stay away from him. Um, and you know, weird guy. And I ultimately did my best to avoid in November of that same year, three months after I had last seen him, um, an article comes out that he is convicted of child molestation. So again, like red flags. I'm telling everybody this guy's making me uncomfortable. This guy is convicted of child molestation. There is no notification from the camp. 
Wow. Like this man interacted with your children for the last eight to 10 weeks. No one, not even like a, hey, just FYI, like we found that there's some, you know, shady stuff going on. Just right. like check with your kids. Nope. Wow. They just pretended it didn't happen. <laughs> My second year at the camp uh, in the wilderness program, um, Steve decided to bring in one of his former campers uh, who had been working at the camp for as long as I could remember. And this dude was weird. He was obsessed with childhood cartoons. Um, and he was at the time was my, when I was very, very young was my bus counselor, which means that he was the one who would ride the bus with us as we'd go home. Um, and he'd always tell stories about, you know, boy meets world and just like all of these TV shows that are intended for children. Like, I think he was obsessed with my little pony. Um, and another thing that he did when he was working in the wilderness program is that he would always find a reason to have a kid sit on his lap. And the head counselor at the time who was in charge was writing this up left and right. He was like, this is not okay. Like, mm -hmm. this is terrible. Like, he's telling kids to sit on his lap. And that's part of the reason he went to the Washington Post afterward. Um, despite the multiple incident reports, nothing was done. Um, and a few months later, after camp, this guy is convicted of uh, possession and distribution of child porn. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So again, no notification to the families, no notification to the staff. We are only um, informed by the article that we all see and we're all sending it around like, oh my God, this is two years in a row and two yeah. sex offenders have come out of this camp. Now, above the head counselors, mm -hmm. is it just one person? There is one person, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this one person was getting all of these like write-ups and wasn't doing anything about yep. it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, I, the head counselor has told me, and this, I could be a little wrong on this, but even the person above him was like, I will not co-sign moving, like the hiring of this guy. But, you know, the person all the way at the top was like, no, nah, bring him. He's been here for years. So they knew and about I'm sure it. sure too, like they probably figured, oh, if the more scandal, the mm -hmm. less people we have. Exactly. Exactly. Because- because the year before that, you know, they have the death of the child. Right. Um, the year after that, they have the counselor who's turned child molester. And then the third year, they have the counselor turned child porn distributor. So, like, you know, this camp not is- Not a good rep. No, right. not a great rep. So, I think they're doing anything they can yeah. to- um, Make it seem like everything's good. Right, right. Uh, so, so the craziest thing about this um, child porn guy is, like I said, he's Steve's former camper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I recognize that abuse is cyclical. So right. I, I mean, I can't make any assumptions. I have no information, but I do wonder how was this guy treated, you know, by Steve. Um, and in a weird way, all of these adults getting charged with literal child sex crimes made me feel better about my interactions with Steve. Cause I was like, you know what? This man terrified the shit out of me when I was at his house and he was blackout drunk, but at least He's not a child molester, mm -hmm. which is so nuts. Like right. that was my, okay, well, thank God. At least, you know, there's right, right. bad people in the world. He's not that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how I perceived Steve. I graduated college. He went to my graduation party. Then I, then we parted ways. Um, not in a weird way, just like a, I went to college. Big Steve stayed at home with all the other teenage boys. Um, and I, you know, went into the big world. And so I'd see him over the summer. I came back and worked at the camp again one more time. Um, but when I was at college is when I finally had the courage to come out to myself, 
let alone anyone else. So I was like, oh, I'm actually very gay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, I came out to my friends, came out to my parents and pretty much everybody knew. Um, but I was really nervous about coming out to Big Steve. And because I guess in my head, I was thinking if I come out to him, you know, he might actually think I was having sex with my friend in high school mm -hmm. because then I'm confirming one of the many assumptions that he made about me that, you know, if I, if I was, if I'm gay, then I'm definitely having sex with him, which I like, let's set the record straight. I was not, yeah. we were not doing anything. Right. <laughs> um, so what happened was I tweeted some article uh, about how nobody is 100% straight and I guess Steve took note of said article because he then texted me about it around 9.30 p.m. Again, I'm like, I've been, I'm like, I have not been your camper in three years yet. I'm still getting the 9.30 p.m. texts. You know, we've moved on from Facebook Messenger. Now he's blowing up my phone. Okay. Um, so the funny thing is that I was actually planning on going out uh, to the 18 plus gay bar with my friend um, who I told you about before the show. And so... Um, so we are like getting ready for this. And then I get this text from Steve and she knows Steve too. So we're like, oh God, here he goes. Um, so Steve texts reads as follows. Your Twitter feed. Are you bi? No judgment here if you are. Just from what you posted leaves me to believe that. You're a really good friend. So I just wanted to know. I read the article that no one is really straight. Good article. Very informative. And so I'm when I receive this text, I'm driving. And so... Um, I, I'm like, give my phone to my friend. I'm like, Steve texted me, like, can you read it? And like, let me know if it's like a, if it's something where he's like begging for attention where I need to pull over and respond now. Um, and my first thought after she reads it to me, I was like, oh my God, is Steve about to come out to me? Like my world is going to explode if he does. So I'm like, let me just, you know, put this away. I got places to drive first. Um, but of course, I get this first text and I immediately think back to when I'm 13 and I tell Steve over Facebook Messenger that I wanted to be a wilder queer at the time. Um, I had no idea what the word queer meant and I thought it was just kooky. Um, and, you know, when when we're having all these late night combos where he's telling me about his drinking problems, I have no idea how to respond. So I just say random stuff and I was like, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to be a wilder queer because I'm the, you know, the king of wilderness. Um, so when I sent him that... Um, you know, he, of course, is like freaking out, like, oh, I don't think you want to be a wilder queer. And I was like, whatever. Um, of course, I also think back to when he asked me if I'm having sex with my friend in high school. Um, and so, you know, all of these thoughts are flooding in when he starts, you know, texting me about my sexual orientation. So I'm like, I'm not responding to this right now. Like, I'm trying to be in the zone. Like, I'm going to go see a drag show tonight. Like, I'm so excited. Um, so 15 minutes later, I guess he decides that you know, his text to me is actually really weird. Um, so he retracts it and he says, I'm sorry, forget I asked. That's too personal. I don't care what your sexuality is. You're just Logan to me, period. Last message deleted, smiley face. My brother and lifelong friend have a fantastic weekend. So he messages me that and I'm like, oh my God. So I, I, I finally admit, I finally decide that it's time for me to come out to him. Um, and so I do. And I tell him like, yes, I am. Um, and his response, and this is the, the wildest thing. And this is the, actually the screenshot I post every single year. He responds when I come out to him with, well, if you ever want your dick sucked privately, you know where I live. Ha ha. Smiley face. I was not expecting that. <laughs> 
Wow, Steve. I know. Like, so. I really thought like, okay, maybe Steve is just a weirdo. No, Steve. Steve was literally trying to like get dicked down by children for like seven years. Isn't wow. that, isn't that like, so, oh my God. <laughs> so obviously we're laughing about this now because it's so absurd, but at the time, of course I wanted to throw up. Um, so I'm like still driving and my friend reads the text like, and, and so I actually, I think I was at her house picking her up when I read the text. Also, what, what makes him think that he would be the one right. that you would be wanting. 40-some-year-old Big Steve. No. Honey. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, continue. I was really not expecting <laughs> no, that from I, Big Steve. I know. Big Steve. Um, I mean, honestly, and this is something that I've learned. If an older man's ever texting you at night, mm-hmm. there's, there's Red some, flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. So yeah. especially if a drunk old man is texting mm-hmm. you at night and if you're a child, run. Right. That's my message to the world. If you are a child and an adult is messaging you at night, block them. Um, so anyway, I wanted to throw up um, and my friend gets in the car and I was like, I think I'm going crazy. Like, can you read this message? Um, and I give her the phone and she's like, oh, my God. No, he he said that. Um, and so, of course, all of the late night interactions, all of the weirdness like clicks immediately. And. My first thought is like, oh my God, how long has Steve been thinking about sucking my dick? Like, and I'm an adult at this point, but I'm like, why is that the first thought that he has when I come out to him? Like that, not even the first thought, that is the first thing that he decides to send me. It's not even like there was an impulse, like there is a brain thought. And he knew you when you were so young. Yeah. And he had been asking me about if I was having sex with kids he had been telling me, um, you know, not to do that. Like, just there's way too much going on where you're like, oh, my God. So, um, he, yeah, I mean, he had been hinting and asking, you know, mm-hmm. subtle questions about my sexual orientation since I was very young. Um, and so I had no idea how to respond to this text. So I, I don't because I'm like. I am going to a gay bar tonight. I'm going to, to see a drag show. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know what, Steve, you are not getting a response from me because that's nuts. Um, but of course, Steve then spends the next few hours trying to backtrack, you know, from the dick sucking text. So 30 minutes later, I get a text. Sorry, bad attempt at gay slash by humor. By bad smiley face. And, you know, by bad was it, it was not a bisexual joke. It was he was drunk and he, you know, was putting in the typos. But I guess when I wrote this, I wanted to keep them in. Um, and then uh, he says, just trying to lighten the mood, dot, dot, dot. Sorry if that offended you. My bad. Just because I think something is funny in the moment doesn't mean it is. Sorry, bro. And so I'm getting like text, text, text. I'm just like, dude, leave me alone. Like, I I got things to do. Um, so. Now it's been two hours since the infamous, uh, you know where I live text, which I did, been there a few times, had some terrible experiences. Um, So now I'm at the bar, you know, watching the drag show and more texts are coming in. Um, Two hours later, I get a text saying, you're not responding. So I'm really starting to feel awful. I didn't mean to offend you, dude. I'm so sorry. I'm like, okay, still not responding to that. Um, Then he says again. um, So I've been like, 
quadruple texted at this point. It's a sensitive topic. I should have not made a crass joke about it. <laughs> and now, you know, three hours later, I still haven't responded. You know, he's still going. I respect you, Logan, and your life choices. I should not have made a joke like that. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. It seemed funny in the moment, I guess. Dot, dot, dot. Five minutes later. Please reply, dude. I feel awful. Again, like, so his mind is is stuck on the fact that I'm not replying to him and the fact that I couldn't take his joke. Mm -hmm. Not at all that it was completely inappropriate. And of course, you can see the trend of him trying to guilt me into responding to him. So like, I didn't really have an example of that before, but this is a perfect example when it's like, please respond. I feel so bad. Um, this would happen every time he would say something inappropriate. You know, please respond. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Big Steve is here for you. Um, so now it's midnight. I'm still shaking my ass at the gay bar um, and more texts are coming in. And he says, I did not mean to mock the gay slash bi lifestyle. I honestly was ex and expecting an LOL or a haha -ha in response. Only now do I realize how insensitive I was being. I'm so sorry for crossing the line. I should have never joked about such a serious issue. I made a mistake and I sincerely apologize. It's no joking matter and I know better than that. Please forgive my momentary insensitivity. He referred to telling me that he wanted to suck my dick as momentary insensitivity. And I was like, there is a history of momentary. The, and the only thing that he knows how to do is to pretend like it was a joke. Mm -hmm. it's Which, like he's like the kind of person that like will plant something to see what somebody will mm -hmm. respond. And he really like he was serious. Oh, he's but so then serious. He, right. Then he plays it off as like, oh, no, I was just kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, that, that's not the problem. I don't you can make jokes all you want. Right. It's not the you can make fun of gay people as much as you want. I don't care. You told me you wanted to suck my dick. And that is the problem that I have yeah. with this. And that is he was not getting that or he was and he was pretending like mm -hmm. he wasn't. Um, So um, he you know, the thing that really creeped me out about all of this is that Again, the apology is about the humor, not about the fact that there was definitely, like you said, some truth in him wanting to suck my dick. Um, so, because why else would he have brought up the not everyone is 100% straight article? Right. It just, it's weird. So, of course, you know, it's now three hours later, the texts are still coming in. Um, it's like getting to be comical. Like I'm literally at the bar, like every new text comes in. My friend and I are like, look at this stupid stuff from Steve. Like, can you believe it's still happening? Like Tatiana, the drag queens, like performing, we're giving her dollar bills and my texts are like blowing up. Um, and so Steve says, I guess in retrospect, the joke was supposed to be lighthearted and communicate the fact that I'm okay with you being bi or gay. But now... I realized that I need I didn't need a stupid, regrettable joke that offended you to communicate that. I'm so sorry, Logan. I love and accept you no matter what. That's what I should have said instead. Again, I'm not responding, um, but more texts come in. Dude, this is killing me that my stupid attempt at humor offended you. Holy Samantha B, I will leave you alone now. Holy who? I don't know who that is. <laughs> this man, it's like, dude, you are, you are, wanting to be young so badly but you're <laughs> quoting things from like the 60s i'm like i don't know who samantha b is so he says i will leave you alone now just know that i love and respect you for who you are you are my brother and friend for life good night <laughs> and then i think the next morning he like sends me a bible verse that he's been oh, reading God. about how he's been like reflecting on on humor and his actions or something and i'm like dude like oh, the last God. thing i need right now is a bible verse like that's yeah um 
So, of course, this whole interaction leaves me so confused about the last seven years of my life. Um, and I felt so unsafe in that situation. I never wanted any child to ever go through that again. So I filed a police report. And I knew like that him wanting to suck my dick as an adult is not illegal. It's weird, um, but it's not illegal. Maybe it's sexual harassment. And like he was my boss at the time and my youth pastor and my, you know, what camp counselor. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe I'll I'll just file it to document it. So the police arrive at my house and they say the same thing that it's not a crime. Um, but they said that my story corroborates another report that they previously had. And so um they're talking to me and they're they they my friend uh, when I was texting her, she reminded me that the police legitimately said, I don't know how they let this guy work with children. They knew his name when I reported it. And they were like, oh yeah, this is not the first time. So my first thought is, oh my God, is there someone else who's been in my situation? And then of course, like I'm thinking of all of the, the four of us. Mm -hmm. And there's one of the four who just kind of disappeared one day and never came back and never spoke about it. So I'm like, did something happen to him? Um, well, it makes you wonder too, like if there was a child mm -hmm. that really leaned on him, I guess, for that kind of guidance or all the times that he would invite you guys over. And I don't know, like when you're a child, you might think it's cool to hang out with someone that's older. Or mm -hmm. if you don't have, you know, a father figure or this or that, you might lean on something right. like that. So who knows if somebody that was 13, 14, 15, whatever would have leaned on him if he would have taken advantage of that yeah. like if it was just him and a child alone at his house or right. something like that. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's so scary. So yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I start thinking about all of these kids who randomly showed up at, you know, his youth group events, all of the kids that ride his bus, all of the kids at the church. Um, so I'm like, this this can't happen anymore. So I immediately call the camp. I call the camp director because I have his cell phone number. Um, I tell him everything. I call the church that Steve worked at. I tell them everything. Um, and thankfully, and actually surprisingly, both institutions remove him immediately. Um, then I, because the police also hinted at something like, yeah, his background check doesn't come up clean if you run it. Um, so I'm like, oh my God, like that's, like, why has no one done a background check in this guy in years? Like, I get that. Especially when he's working with kids. Right. And I get that, okay, once you're in, mm -hmm. you don't really get annual background checks. But maybe every five or ten years. I don't know. And did you ever respond or talk to him or see him after that last mm -mm. text? I didn't. Text? He tried to reach out to me last year, um, which was absurd. And as that's happening, I'm actually texting the head counselor the screenshots and he's texting Steve saying, leave Logan alone. Don't ever interact with him again. So like he's tried. Um, but yeah. And he, I'm assuming you quit. Your oh, yeah. Position. Yeah, I quit. Okay. Yeah. He immediately blocked me. Got it. Um, so yeah, we've had no contact until he tried to contact me. Even then I didn't respond. Um, so, you know, he's fired from the church. He's fired from the camp. Awesome. But he's still a bus driver. So I made a new email. <laughs> keep Steve away from kids at gmail.com. And I write this long email to the school system. And I find all the people, the head of buses, the superintendent, the, you know, all the people that I need to be emailing. And I send this long email basically saying, I know you cannot tell me the results of this investigation. And I can't tell you any details because there's a, there's a police report about it. You can contact the police if you want. I give you my permission. 
But what I need you to do is I need you to run a background check on this man. Mm -hmm. That's it. You don't have to tell me the results, but I need you to do a background check because this is not a safe person to be around kids. They respond surprisingly and they say, thank you for this information. We are running a background check. We cannot say any more, but we wanted to thank you. And I was like, great. That's all I want. He's fired. So like clearly the background check came now, up. Now, did he get in trouble for anything or was he just removed from these positions? Do you know? I think he's just removed. I don't know. Okay. Um, because. I mean, I'm sure I would assume he's on the record as. Well, I've Googled it. There's no record huh. because none of this was technically a sex offense crime like you can find if you look up the other two people yeah they're on the sex offender registry but steve's not um so i don't know what happened what kind of report came up right. but um yeah his background check doesn't clear um but there's no registry and the scary thing is too like i feel like and this might not be the case with all offenders but and everyone's different but you never know when somebody's going to cross that line. Right. So maybe Steve over these last, I don't know, 10 years or so was kind of just like dipping his toes in the water, dipping mm -hmm. his toes, like increasing, whatever. Yeah. Like you don't know if nobody would have reported this if one right. day he did cross that line. Right. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you never, like it might not, it, first, like I said, for some people they might just go all in. But yeah. for others it might be something where it leads up to mm -hmm. eventually them Right. Really doing something like that. And that's why I needed to tell everyone. Because I was like, this man, because I'm an adult now. You don't now. want it to go any further. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the position of, I work with kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this cannot happen. So thankfully, he's fired. Um, he sends out this long email that was not sent to me. But of course, the screenshots were. Because I, I have my people. And he essentially goes on and on about how he's taking a break from the camp. You know, he spent his entire life dedicating his time to kids and to working with kids at the church, at the camp, as a bus driver. But now it's time to focus on Steve. Oh. Um, and he's going to take some time away to focus on himself. So he acted like it was his choice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, then he he um, in the in the email says that he's going to, you know, start a new journey for himself. He calls it this is the year of Steve where he's going to, you know, find himself and blossom and be the best the best person. Um, so he even changes his Instagram bio after blocking me to the year of Steve. So his current Instagram bio is the year of Steve and then his phone number. It's been the year of Steve since 2018. Um, so every year is the year. Of every Steve. year is the year of Steve. So now Steve currently works for a construction company and is somehow able to move on with his life. Um, for me, I have pretty significant anxiety and also recently panic attacks. Um, I'm, you know, I've been in therapy ever since then. Uh, I, you know, take meds for anxiety. You know, I'm doing pretty well. I love my job. Um, and like I said, every year around June, I try to post the screenshots of the text that he sent me. Um, but I didn't feel like that was enough. And I, I remember for the longest time, I got a lot of backlash from the people who um, were Steve minions as well and Steve supporters. And the biggest one uh, who, you know, probably fought me the most about this um, ended up, you know, being accused as uh, a sexually assaulting his girlfriend at the time, um, you know, and I believe her mm -hmm. because he's a Steve defender, Steve apologist. Um, so at first I was like super offended that all of these people were not um, believing me and believing my story. But of course, then I realized just how brainwashed I was into 
venerating Steve and seeing him as this like perfect person. So I was like, of course, they're not going to believe me. And I can't really blame them for that. Um, but I wanted to come on this podcast uh, because I feel like people needed to hear this story. And because I never want any child to be in the position that I was in. And quite frankly, in like getting to the point where I'm at now is like the last step in getting past mm -hmm. all of the Steve stuff. And the year of Steve is ending right now. Yeah. So bye, Steve. And I, bye, Steve. <laughs> and I think too that it's so important to talk about because it just goes to show, and it's unfortunate because I think that a lot of things can happen where something said, like these camps or these churches and everything, it's supposed to be a safe place. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to teach religion. It's supposed to teach what's right, what's wrong, this, that, and the other. Um, and I think a lot of times it's, it, you can say that something is something and that's not actually what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I think one, it's important to know that even if you're sending your child to a youth group or, you know, with somebody that you think works for the school system mm -hmm. or that is a religious safe person, do your own research and like you said, kind of just do that that double check. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. don't just let your kid go off because you think someone's safe. You just never know. Right. Um, and I think too, like I mentioned, it's always important to speak up because you hopefully prevent it from going any further mm -hmm. or from it happening to another child or person. Right. And even though at the time that he sent you those texts, you were still an adult at that point, you spent years around this man mm -hmm. as a child. So right. like you said, all of these things started clicking and it does become scary. I think you're like, oh shit. And you reevaluate the whole relationship mm -hmm. that you had with this man. And I think yeah. it really can leave you feeling extremely uneasy and it, like, and groomed. And like, you're yeah. like, wait, what, what has this man been doing mm -hmm. for the last however many years? You know yeah. what I mean? And who else has he done it to? Right. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there like that. And like we mentioned before, whether it's because something he went through in his childhood and whether it was just who he was and him being weird, it's not okay and it's not safe. And it mm -hmm. has a very negative effect on children. Like yeah. children should not be around people like that. And these right. kind of people need help mm -hmm. and they just should not be around kids right? at and all. As much as I hate doing this, um, the personal body safety lessons every year, I'm so grateful that they exist. Yeah. Because when I was in middle school, I didn't have my school counselor doing a personal body safety lesson that if somebody had told me, hey, an adult should never be telling you to keep a secret. Right. I probably would have been like, oh, wait, well, I have an adult asking me yeah. to keep lots of secrets. And that's what I was going to say, too. If there was somehow like more things in place where not even just like reporting, mm -hmm. but- Right, like lessons like that or little key things just to teach kids on like, okay, look out for this. This is a red flag or you should feel comfortable to come to any of us if you're right. dealing with this or that. Because I think that like we were saying before as well, as a child, you might not fully grasp things and really understand what's happening or what's mm -hmm. weird or what's off. Um, because what do we really know at that age, you right. know? And, yeah. and like you said too, when a whole group of your friends and people that you trust are trusting of this man or this person, you're not really going to feel like you want to be the one person that is going against them. It just doesn't mm -hmm. make sense in our young brains. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, yeah, if there was more things in place that kind of just sparked that little like, hmm, that maybe that's weird or maybe yeah. that's not right or maybe that gut feeling I was having is telling me something's wrong. Yeah. I feel like, and it's unfortunate, but more things like that do need to be in place. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it really is sad that we live in a world that you can't be trusting. Right. Yeah, it is sad. It's so sad. But I think that your story is so important because children need to be protected from this kind of stuff. And there is no certain age. There is no certain place that these Mm -hmm. things happen. It can happen anywhere. It can happen in the most, what you think are the most innocent environments. Yeah. And they're just, unfortunately, they're not. Um, And I think that the more people that talk about it and can be aware of it, hopefully the more this is prevented Mm -hmm. from ever happening to other people. Yeah, absolutely. But you did amazing. Thank you. And thank you so much for for sharing your experience, sharing your story about Steve um, and everything (laughs) terrible that he's done. Um, But no, and this is the year that we end Steve. Um, No more Steve. Bye, Steve. Steve is canceled party. Yes, Steve is canceled. Nobody go to his house. Um, Delete his address and number. Um, But no, seriously, you did incredible. And thank thank you you so much for wanting to come on here. Yeah. It, it definitely, it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to open up and, and you really did incredible and I appreciate you preparing so much. You did amazing. Seriously. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. much.